The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna have ya. Tanakas, Fakata, Jag like Michael Waka, Polanco, and Franco. The stove is hot. Who is this year's blank? Plus, we have a Denelson Lament update from AJ Preller, who was on this very podcast yesterday. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today on Thursday, January 28th. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White and Chris Towers, who appears to be wearing some kind of onesie pajamas. Chris, what, what are those? What do you got going it's, on over it's there? It's a two-piece pajama. It's uh, actually funny you should say that the stove is hot because this is my puppy. This is Stevie, and one of his nicknames around this apartment is Stove. So that's your actual dog on your pajamas. Yes, right this is my puppy. This is this is Stevie Nicks. All right, Stevie so Nick Towers. We're actually using some new technology here for our video service. So I'm going to zoom in here on Chris. If you are watching on our YouTube, so you can yeah, actually you see what Chris's dog looks like on his pajamas. Yeah, this was a uh, a Christmas present from my sister-in-law, and I, I'm very happy with it. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just want to wear, you want to wear jammies. And so that's uh, that's what we've got. He's a very cute dog. The 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 black lab on black background makes it a little hard to see. Mm. Uh, that's the only, if I had to lodge one uh, complaint. Scott is here as well. What's up, Scott? Do you, you don't own any pets, right? No, we are currently petless, and the plan is to stay that way for the time. <laughs> Smart man. For the foreseeable future, let's say. Smart man. No, I, I yeah. got a cat recently, and she's awesome, but I have allergies, so that's really my only complaint uh, there. So I mentioned we. who is this year's blank? What does that mean? We'll have a whole list of categories, fun things to talk about, like who is this year's Trent Grisham, for example, a player going outside the top 380p who can return top 50 value in fantasy baseball. I uh, mentioned there's a lot of signings going on as well. Uh, and some Hall of Fame stuff, I'll just ask you guys if you have any opinion on it. Honestly, it doesn't really matter much to me, uh, but some people might actually care about it. There was a lot of moves that happened uh, both on Tuesday and Wednesday. So let's talk about probably the biggest one that happened. And that was JT Real Muto, who is headed back to the Philadelphia Phillies on a five-year, $115 million deal. Real Muto hit 266 with 11 home runs and four steals across 47 games in 2020. That is a 30 homer, 11 steal pace over 130 games which we should expect from a catcher. He's averaged like 137 games played over each of the past three seasons. I think we kind of know who Real Muto is at this point. He's the number one catcher in Roto each of the past three seasons. He's finished number one or two in points leagues 
in each of those seasons as well. The ADP is at 41.3. Scott, what do you think about Real Muto heading back to the Phillies? What does it mean for him and the rest of the the surrounding hitters? Um, And would you actually draft him in the fourth round? I wouldn't draft him in the fourth round. No, there are too many other needs at that point. And catcher is a position. It's really maybe the only position you can afford to go weak at. I, I mean, I guess relief pitcher as well, but that's that's just a completely different animal. That's like the kicker of fantasy baseball where it's just all kind of random. Uh, but no, catcher, you can afford to go weak there. You certainly shouldn't pay that kind of upcharge for Real, Real Muto just because he's number one. But, you know, obviously it's, we like him staying in Philadelphia. It's a good place to hit. We've already seen him have success there. And, you know, he's getting, he's getting pretty old by catcher standards. He's going to turn, let's see, he's going to turn 30 before the start of this season. And not a lot of catchers has have maintained greatness into their 30s. So, yeah, we saw the strikeout rate jump a little bit last year. Obviously, small sample. Maybe it means nothing. But, you know, you, you can't... The, the decline's going to come sooner than later for Real Muto. And it's just going to be... It's going to be a softer landing if he's in a small park like he is with the Phillies. Uh, Chris, Scott mentioned the age for Real Muto. He's getting up there. Uh, he will be 30 by the time the season starts. He actually ended last season with a hip injury as well. So do those things kind of creep into your mind when drafting him? And uh, would you actually use a fourth... Maybe say he falls to the fifth round. Would you use a pick that early on a catcher, the best catcher in fantasy? And it's not just that he's the best catcher, but it's um, it's sort of a Travis Kelsey if uh, George Kittle and and Darren Waller didn't exist situation. I I was about to say that. I was like, this is. I mean, he's so so much better. Smith has done in his. you know, 90 or so major league games has been better than JT Romuto. What Salvador Perez did last season was better than JT Romuto. What James McCann has done over the last two seasons has been better than JT Romuto, but none of them have the track record. None of them have the, the sample size to back it up. James McCann, I think in particular is, uh, you know, looks much more skeptical to keep those numbers up, but uh, you know, Romuto, should be the best hitter, a catcher. If not, it's a Mike Trout situation where if someone's better than them, it's probably a career year. Um, and historically, he has played a lot more games than your standard catcher. I think he's second over the last three seasons in games caught uh, or games played. Yasmani Grandal is the only one ahead of him. And, and you know, he was playing some DH. He was playing some first base when he was with the Brewers. And so... Um, you know, Ray Muto will probably be among the leaders in, in innings as well at catcher. And so I think you generally can just probably the biggest luxury at a position uh, in fantasy. And so, yeah, if it's a fifth round pick, I think I have him 52nd. Real Muto wasn't the only person who signed over the past couple of days. Marcus Semien to the Toronto Blue Jays for a massive amount of money. I mean, good for Marcus Semien. I'm, get your money, man. One year, $18 million deal. Uh, Before we try and figure out this playing time situation for the Toronto Blue Jays, let's just quickly hit on Semyon, who, Scott, I know you liked last year. He was coming off that mid-career breakout, that 2019, uh, where he had the 892 OPS, just a massive season. He was in the running for MVP, uh, and then followed that up in 2020 with a 679 OPS, just seven home runs, four steals. 
which I mean, okay, the home runs and steals are not terrible. That's 19 homers, 11 steals over the course of 150 games. Uh, but he did vastly underperform what was expected of him. So first, your thoughts on Marcus Semien and the landing spot in Toronto. Yeah, so I was pretty much over Marcus Simeon. And look, I'm still not as enthusiastic about this this move for him as as others seem to be. But there's there's some there's some there's some data that's worth bringing up. So yeah, obviously his regular season stats last year not very good, and in a way that was similar to every other year of his career besides 2019. But if you include the postseason stats, you know, he's one of those like Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa. Uh, you include the postseason stats. I mean, he he crushed it there and you combine them with the regular season stats. It starts to look better. It starts to look better. And, and normally we would just ignore postseason stats. But, you know, the percentage of games that con- made up the postseason versus the regular season in this particular year, uh, it makes more sense to combine them. So that's one thing. Two... He's going to a smaller park, Re- regardless of whether they play the Blue Jays play in Toronto or uh, Dunedin, Florida. Is that how you pronounce that? Their spring training site. I think it's Dun- Dunedin. I don't know. Well, Chris is the native South Floridian. I just know. I just noticed Chris froze. How long should we leave him here, Scott? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna remove that one. Bring Actually, in the out. There it is. There he is. I brought there I brought Chris back. Uh, okay, so should I just keep going? Yeah, keep going on Simeon. How, how do you pronounce the where the Blue Jays play, play their spring training games, Chris? Is it Dunedin? Uh, Dunedin, I think. Dunedin. Dunedin. All right. Well, whatever. Regardless of whether it's there or Toronto or Buffalo, it's going to be a smaller park than he was used to playing in in Oakland. And you know, he's he's kind of a fly ball hitter. He certainly was this most recent year. So you'd think that'd be a good thing. But looking at his career history. Home away splits very even, very even. So I'm not sure how much Oakland actually held him back as a hitter. So um, I could see, like, I'm more enthusiastic about Simeon now than I was before this signing. It's a better environment to hit. And, you know, he was stuck in Oakland a long time. It can only help his chances. But, you know, I'm kind of of the mind that we saw him turn, I keep using this expression, turn back into a pumpkin last year after a fluky performance in 2019. And I'm not really sure that I'm not at all confident that this venue change is going to, to cure what ails him. I mean, he's still, he's still a useful fantasy contributor, but like if he's your starting shortstop, it's a problem. Well, well, what is interesting about this is he's going to gain second base eligibility, right? And that would make him more useful, uh, but probably still pretty fringy in a mixed league sense. No, that's a really good point, though, and, and one that I hadn't even considered yet because the second base position, we talk about it quite a bit. It might be deep with okay talent, mediocre talent, but it, it's really not a great position up top. And Semyon's going around pick 150 in ADP, and he's going to gain second base eligibility within the first week or so of the season. So, no, it's a really good point and one that I hadn't considered. Uh, I still think he's somebody who can hit 20-plus homers, maybe double-digit steals, which is is serviceable as yeah. a middle infielder for sure. And, and maybe if you're one of the last people to grab a second baseman in your league as a as a borderline starting second baseman as well, uh, the biggest thing for me, and, and I don't know how much stock you want to put into this, Chris, because you've kind of talked about how you're not, you're, you're trying not to put too much weight on the 2020 season, but his 
contact metrics, like his quality of contact, Semyon just completely plummeted. Like his hard contact, all of his stat cast data uh, really kind of fell off the map as well. So your thoughts on Simeon and what does this do for the roster crunch with the Blue Jays? Because he's going to play second. That means, all right, where's Kevin Biggio going? There was a report on Wednesday, uh, General Manager Ross Atkins said that he expects Vladimir Guerrero to get another shot at third base. So where do we expect Biggio? Who's losing playing time in the outfield? My, my poor guy, Rowdy Telez. I, I don't know what to do with all this. Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest thing would be like someone like Rowdy Telez doesn't. He, he's still got quite a bit to prove. And so, yeah, you know, I mean, he's pretty awesome, Chris. Yeah, and, and <laughs> quite a bit to prove. Uh, if he gets he forced out of the lineup, it's not necessarily, um, you know, uh, uh, something to, to cry about for anyone except for Frank, maybe. Yes. Uh, but, you know, Biggio, he's played the outfield in the past, so maybe that's a, an option. Maybe Vlad, you know, goes to first base. I, I, It'll work itself out. Someone will underperform. Someone will get hurt. There will be, you know, playing time eventually for the guys who we want to play um, is the way I would say that. The With Simeon, the, you know, the small sample size nature of 2020 is, uh, you know, you don't want to take too much of it from it, except that, his, you know, decline in average exit velocity, his decline in hard hit rate, uh, barrel rate. He basically looked like the guy he was before 2019. And so I think that's probably telling. And the guy he was before 2019 was, I think, a pretty underrated fantasy option, but he was an underrated fantasy option who hit 15 homers and you hoped stole 15 bases. He stole 14 in, in 2018. That, that, you know, I think maybe he's more like a 20 homer, 15 steel guy or 20 homer, 10 steel guy. Um, mm-hmm. It's useful in Roto, but, you know, the 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 big breakout, I think, was probably a, a bit of a mirage. Uh, the Blue Jays acquired Steven Matz from the Mets for Sean Reed Foley, Yenzi Diaz and Josh Winkowski. Um, I don't think there's really much to add on Steven Matz. He's not very good. And now he moves to the AL East where he has to face a bunch of teams, uh, tough teams. <laughs> I always want him to be good, though. <laughs> uh, I think I this... always, I'm always hoping. His changeup played better in 2020. Unfortunately, uh, the rest of his pitches played much, much worse. I think this is a precursor that the Mets are going to sign Trevor Bauer, which there has been a lot of smoke. I don't regarding. know if Steve Cohen's got all that, got the money for it after all this GameStop stuff. Oh, yeah, I saw that. I what happened know. with that? <laughs> I don't know. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I, it was like Reddit users. I don't know. Reddit I'm users. sure Trevor Bauer made a lot of money on it. He seems like the kind of guy who'd make bets based on what people tell him on Reddit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the value of GameStop stocks right now apparently are skyrocketing. Something to do with Reddit. I don't know all the details. So if you know, <laughs> let us know. Tweet at us. Uh, and- Steve Cohen apparently has has had to invest some capital uh, as a result of it is the is the punchline. Uh, yeah, so anyway, Steven Matz to the Blue Jays. It seems like the Mets are going to sign for a Bauer. It hasn't happened yet, so wait and see uh, regarding that situation. Let's kind of go rapid fire with the rest of these signings. Andrelton Simmons to the Twins. ADP is at 464. Maybe 10 homers, 10 steals. Scott, anything to see here with uh, Andrelton Simmons? I, I think the biggest effect of this is Jorge Polanco moving to second base, which means he's going to gain second base eligibility. And, you know, he wasn't very good in 2020, but that seems like a total sample size thing. I mean, strikeout rate was still elite. 
Line drive rate was still elite. He still looks like a great bet for batting average with enough power to make it hold up. So I think I think Jorge Polanco with second base eligibility, not immediately, but eventually, um, will be a nice buy. Top yeah. 12 potentially at that position. Yeah, buy the dip on Jorge Polanco. The ADP is at 217.3 according to Fantasy Pros. I will say, I think this helps the Twins pitchers quite a bit as well. I mean, their defense is going to be fantastic, especially up the middle. They have Simmons playing shortstop, obviously Byron Buxton in center field, who's one of the better defensive outfielders. I uh, just has to stay in the outfield and stay healthy. Tommy Listella to the Giants. Chris, I know that you're a big fan of Tommy Listella since the start of 2019. He has an 827 OPS, makes a lot of contact, which makes him appealing for points leagues. Um, maybe the venue, not so much. We're still waiting to see what they're going to do with those archways in the outfield because last year we saw offense way up in Oracle Park because those archways were closed, which didn't allow the wind to blow in from the bay, which meant that balls were flying out easier than they ever have before. So knowing what we know now, thoughts on Tommy Lestella, Chris? I like Tommy Tommy Lestella. He is, uh, I think, one of the sure bets for batting average. And I think you know, I, I don't think the power that he showed in 2019 when he was on a 32 homer pace was real, but uh, there is clearly more there than there was early in his career when I think he had, I think it was 10 home runs in his first like five seasons combined or something, maybe 11. Um, I think he can be a 15 to 20 homer guy with a 290 batting average. And I, I would expect he's going to hit uh, at or near the top of that lineup. I don't, necessarily buy the the spike and walk rate that he had last year when it jumped up to a 12 you know 11.8% but he's going to have a strikeout rate probably below 10%. He's going to put a, the ball in play a lot and he's probably going to be a decent source of uh runs. So I I think Tommy Lestella is a um is a viable starting option. I I actually like drafting him quite a bit. I got a different take on this. I think this nerfs his value. I think he's... I think Do you think he's is, not going to play every day? Well, I think that's part of it. Yeah, the Giants like to platoon. He's never been that good against left-handed pitchers. Donovan uh, Solano, who's you know hit for really good average the past two years, it seems like a ready-made platoon partner for him. Or Omar Flores. Yeah, either one. And and yeah, that it it that part more than any other kills left-handed power, especially. And... You know, I, if you're if you're setting the over under at a dozen homers for Listella this year, I think I'm taking the under. And then you add playing time concerns. You know, in deeper leagues, he'll he'll still be kind of interesting. Um, and look, I, I haven't I haven't dropped him way down my rankings because a lot of this is theoretical. But I'm not nearly as motivated to draft him as I was before he signed this deal. And I will say the power plummeted in 2020. He only played, actually he played 55 games, so he played quite a bit, but the home run to fly ball ratio went from 18.4% uh, in 2019 with the juice ball when we saw him break out to just 6.7% in 2020. So I'm, I'm a bit skeptical of the home runs. Uh, I would take the under on that home run prop you put out as well, Scott. Uh, <laughs> Cesar Hernandez back to Cleveland on a one-year $5 million deal. Uh, not the same money as Semyon, but not chump change either for a team that we know uh, has been trying to cut corners and um, 
not pay people any chance that they can get. So I assume Cesar Hernandez is going to start at second base. He's extremely boring. I was trying to talk him up last year. It didn't really happen. He's probably going to hit 260, 270. Late round source of runs. I don't really think he's going to give you much else. He, he did score 35 runs in 58 games uh, in 2020. But I think the, uh, the biggest effect that this has, Scott, is one of Andres Jimenez or... Um, Ahmed Rosario is not going to be an everyday player, at least not from the get-go. So I was excited about Jimenez. I think we kind of have to pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah, um, I wasn't excited about Jimenez, but obviously stolen bases are a need for everybody who plays Roto or 5 by 5 leagues, or really any categories league. And, and Jimenez looked like he could offer them and you know, pretty good supply of them. Now there are there is some talk that that maybe Ahmed Rosario could get flipped, and then there would still be room for Jimenez and Cesar Hernandez to play every day. Uh, but as things stand right now, it, it, Jimenez and and Rosario kind of go back to having the value they did with the Mets, where you weren't confident in either of them playing regularly enough to matter in mixed leagues. Cesar Hernandez probably looks more valuable than both. Yeah, I think I think this brings he's going to make five million dollars. I think this brings the Cleveland Indians opening pay, uh, day payroll to twenty nine million. Yikes! Which is <laughs> like early two thousands Marlins and Rays level. Mm. I mean, look, I, I everyone is suffering through the pandemic. I understand that, but man, like if you're going to invest anything, if you're going to invest five million dollars. Why don't you do it in the outfield, man? I mean, look at this outfield. Josh Naylor, uh, Oscar Mercado. All right, maybe Mercado's a little bit of a bounce-back candidate. Daniel Johnson? Daniel Johnson, your starting right fielder? Uh, Jake Bowers at yeah. first base? I mean, if you're going to allocate funds, I mean, why don't you just give Jimenez and and uh, Ahmed Rosario an opportunity to play every day and sign a cheap outfielder? Just Excuse me, $28.55 million ah. is the, the number. Uh, $99.6 million less than the average major league payroll right now. Quickly wrap up. Freddie Galvis uh, signed with the Orioles, expected to be their starting shortstop. Um, I don't think there's really much to add there. Maybe AL only just because he's going to have a job to start the season. So if you play in that format, remember Freddie Galvis. Uh, Trey Mancini will be the primary first baseman for the Orioles, uh, though the Braves have recently shown interest. So bit of a storyline to follow there. Wilson Ramos signed with the Detroit Tigers. He will be their starting catcher. He's 33 years old. Pretty much tanked in 2020. Was not good. Scott, anything left uh, for Ramos, a second catcher in Roto Leagues? I mean, maybe. I mean, he was fine in 2019. And if we're throwing out a lot of uh, what we saw in 2020, or at least giving, a player, giving players a pass for it, I, I feel like we should for him as well. Getting him for $2 million like the Tigers did to work with the young pitching staff. Um, seems like a, seems like a good deal. And like, I, I see him as a top 15 catcher as of right now with the potential to rise into the top 12. Sure. No hall of famers were inducted here in 2021, which means 2020s inductees, Derek Jeter and Larry Walker will receive their honor in the summer. I don't know if either of you have strong feelings about the hall of fame or, uh, alleged PED users or, Kurt Schilling, which we should I, I probably stay away from for obvious reasons. But uh, Chris, does this matter? Do you care about the Hall of Fame? I just feel so bad for the baseball writers who have to 
make this decision? Just can we really just like take a second and really think of the of how tough this has all been for him? Can can <laughs> can someone think of the baseball writers and help them make the decision? It it's stupid. Like it's it's really dumb that like people my age who like should be who baseball major league baseball is like trying to bring into the sport. Uh, they're basically telling them like, Oh, all those guys you loved as a kid who made you love the game. Psh, idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Fool. They don't matter. Um, yeah. It's they, not. the MLB network ran this promo package type thing right before they announced who it was with Tom Verducci and, and how tough it is for him to, to figure out putting a check next to this guy's name for the hall of fame ballot or it's not, I don't think it's that big of a deal either. I think alleged PED users should be allowed in, especially Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. I have absolutely no issue with it. Uh, the game of baseball has been tainted for so long with PEDs long before there were steroids or any type of HGH, uh, go back to the 60s, 70s, you know, nine eighties, nineties. They were using little thing called greenies, methamphetamines that were, uh, yeah, the biggest thing is like we're definitely if you, don't, if you don't want to vote for Barry Bonds or you don't want to vote for, uh, you know whatever, like just don't. But I don't, I don't care anymore. Like I don't care how tough the decision was for you. I don't care. Like just vote for them or don't. Get it over with. Put in the mail. Fax it. Whatever they do, I'm sure it's a fax machine. Given that it's uh you know baseball writers. Um, <laughs> and like I just this doesn't have to be. I don't. I don't need to hear you tearing your hair out. Nobody cares. Like vote for them or don't <laughs> stop making yourself the story. Yeah. It's embarrassing at this point. Like this like yearly like caterwauling from baseball writers. It's just like, it is embarrassing now. Like people who don't follow baseball know more about this stuff than they do about Fernando Tatis. That is embarrassing. Yes, very, very bad, and and you wonder why the game of baseball is kind of uh, taking a bit of a, not a bit, but taking a plunge the past couple of decades or so. I think this is part of the reason. Uh, Adam Azer has not been on this podcast in quite a while, but he's always here in spirit, uh, and evidently he has not lost his ability to make uh, terrible takes. I was in a meeting with him on Wednesday when he had this to say, quote, Cobra Kai sucks and I won't watch it, end quote. After not even finishing season one, the first season, I might add. So, Azer, if you're uh, listening, I know you're not, but a bunch of people, you want to tweet at him and tell him how wrong he is about Cobra Kai, I would uh, I would greatly appreciate that. Who is this year's blank? We'll do that in just a second, but I do want to remind everyone, if you're a big football fan, you know that the biggest sporting spectacle of the year is nearly upon us. We know everyone loves making their picks, no matter if you're a diehard fan or just tuning in for the big game. So we think you'll also love this opportunity. Enter the CBS Sports football props game for your chance to compete for the $1 million jackpot. That's right, $1 million if you correctly answer all of the questions and a guaranteed $50,000 to the winner. And you can win all that money without risking anything. Football props is free to play. Questions are the normal props that you're used to. Uh, For example, who will score the first touchdown? Chris, you're a football fan. Which player do you think scores the first touchdown in the Super Bowl? Darrell Williams. Mm, mm, Darrell Williams. All right. And put it on the board. Probably get some uh, some nice odds on that as well. Just visit CBSSports.com slash props or download the CBS Sports app to enter 
And if you enjoyed this podcast, we really do appreciate those five-star Apple podcast ratings and make sure to drop a question in the review as well. We actually have a few questions that were sent in via, uh, via Apple podcast uh, reviews. This one's from Chris Higdon. Head-to-head Dynasty League with three keepers who were rookie eligible in 2020 or 2021. I'm already keeping Jared Kalenic and Ian Anderson for sure. Which would be the best bet for the final spot? Spencer Howard or Tarek Skubal? What do you think, Scott? I mean, both highly regarded prospects who haven't proven much in the majors, expected to have rotation spots from the start. Like, it's, it, it, it kind of is... It's kind of a gut feeling thing, I feel like. I lean slightly towards Scooble. I think uh, he showed a little more as a rookie once he started mixing in his changeup more as the season went on. Uh, the the strikeout potential went up. And, you know, his, his minor league numbers were a little more eye-popping, though both of them were pretty great. So I lean Scooble, but, like, if, if you have a hunch about Howard, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not gonna try to talk you out of it because I, I don't, really know. It's almost a coin flip. Yeah, I lean Scuba a little bit as well, but no such thing as a pitching prospect, so I don't know. Flip a coin. Howard's in a better situation. You think so? so I kind of lean him. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, the Phillies are better. There's no doubt about it, but also going to face tougher competition, tougher park to pitch in, and now Scuba has the uh, the power of A.J. Hinch, so uh, mm. the Astros... <laughs> That only really helps hitters, though. The Astros <laughs> had a thing with turning some pitchers around as well, Chris. So, you never know. A few uh, a few sticky substances here and there. You never Every, know. Everybody's got pine tar. <laughs> uh, this one's from Jeff Francisco. Isn't using category uh, categories like on-base percentage, slugging percentage, and quality starts instead of batting average, home runs, and wins like fantasy baseball without training wheels? Chris? No. It's... It's the same thing. <laughs> if anything, batting average and wins are make it are much harder because they're much more difficult to predict. You, you know, quality starts. If a pitcher pitches well, he's going to get a quality start for the most part. Pitcher can pitch well and not get a, a win in in you know in any game. So, I think that's um, his argument against it, though. Right? Is that wins, right, right. wins but, are just but, so but fluky? Saying without training wheels, training wheels are to make it easier for you. I, I think those things make it easier for you. They're more predictable. I. That's true. I don't personally care one way way or the other. I, I think it's it's all a, a test of skill, and you're just testing different types of skill there. Mm. And you know, quality starts are so arbitrary too. At least six innings, right. at least three, you know, three earned runs or less. I kind of feel like it should be a sliding scale. I've always thought this about quality starts. Why don't we do? Because six innings, three runs. That's a four point five ERA. That's that that's would not, be bad for your start. team ERA that week. Yeah, you're getting you're getting rewarded for something that's bad for your team ERA. That's not a quality start. I mean, it, like we should make it five innings, one run, six innings, two runs, seven innings, three runs. Uh, you know, whatever. Anything later yeah. than seven, it's, it's got to be three runs or less. But um, well. They're not saying good start. They're just saying quality. I think. Yeah. Uh, what kind of quality? It's kind of bad quality, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's it is kind of an arbitrary stat, and like, I don't know. Like on base percentage re- rewards more than batting average does. Slugging percentage rewards more than home yeah. runs does. I certainly understand the appeal. I guess I'm just a traditionalist because like. I'm happy with the with the roto categories being what they are and and the challenges that go along with that and uh, 
you know. But but if your league disagrees, by all means. This last one is from Burly Bob 91. If you were born in 1991, that was a fantastic year to be born. 12-team, 5x5 Roto Keeper League. Rank these four possible keepers. Sixto Sanchez, Steven Strasburg, Corbin Burns, Sonny Gray. I can only keep one. Already keeping Luis Castillo and Lucas Giolito. Scott? I'm keeping... Uh, I'm keeping Burns. Burns. Corbin Burns. Burns, baby, Burns. All right, um, we're going to take a quick break on the podcast side. If you're watching us on YouTube, we're not going to go anyway, uh, anywhere, but on the podcast side, we're going to take a quick break. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Alrighty, uh, who is this year's blank? Let's try to get to as many of these as we possibly can. Let's get to all of them. Let's get to all of them. Let's do that, Chris. And let's start with this one. Who is this year's Marcelo Zuna, a hitter that you are targeting to bounce back solely because of StatCast data. We were pounding the table for Marcelo Zuna last year, highlighting that in 2019, he vastly underperformed his expected batting average, his expected slug, his expected WOBA. He was making awesome quality of contact that final year with the Cardinals, but the results just weren't there for Marcelo Zuna. But when you dug in, under the hood, the stack-ass data said that Ozuna deserved much better outcomes than he actually received. So who is a hitter that we can say that about in 2021? We'll start with you, Chris. Who is this year's Marcel Ozuna? I'm going to go with Miguel Sano, who had an absolutely awful uh, 2020 campaign. but A 40% strikeout rate will do that. Yeah, and... Look, you can look at like, oh, his swing strike rate went up and all that, but like he's not going to have a 40% strikeout rate. He's going to have a strikeout rate right around 35%, which is what he always has. And given that he hits the ball so hard and he had the eighth highest barrel rate uh, in baseball last season, I think Miguel Sano is going to bounce back to being something less than he was in 2019. I think people were a little too excited about him coming off that season. That was, you know, probably. Uh, the best partial season we're going to see from him. But, um, you know, a 250 average, 35 home runs, maybe a little more power, good run production, and good offense. I think that's all totally doable. And he is, uh, I believe, outside the top 300. Outside? No, that can't be right. Top 200? He is uh, 178.7 yeah, in ADP. 
So Sometimes you just say things, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the ADP just mentioned among first basemen, he is the 22nd first baseman off the board. Well, how about this, Chris? You really like Josh Bell as well. They're going six picks apart. Who would you take, Josh Bell or Miguel Sano? Oh, I'd, I'd rather have uh, Josh Bell. I I think Miguel Sano's absolute ceiling is probably like a 270, 265, 270 batting average. I think Josh Bell could hit 290. And, um, and what I will say about Sano is... This is going to sound weird, but there's a lot of volatility in his batting average. So because he strikes out so much, um, that's going to make his batting average fluctuate year over year. And I always point to Chris Davis with a C. There Mm -hmm. would be years where he would hit 260, 270 plus, even with a 30% or higher strikeout rate because he still hit the ball as hard as he did. We see the same thing with Aaron Judge, right? Every single year. I mean, he's consistently uh, around 270, 280, even with a 30% strikeout rate. So when you hit the ball as hard as Sano does, uh, even with the strikeout rate at that high, he can still kind of like, he could still maintain, like potentially have like a 260 or 270 batting average. So, I mean, there's a lot of volatility. This is a question that people got mad about last year, but it turned out to be a pretty fair question. Why is Matt Olson going 90 picks ahead of Miguel Sano? Like he does, Miguel Sano strikes out a lot more than Matt Olson does, but Matt Olson has a career 277 Babbitt, and Miguel Sano has a career 339 Babbitt. He hits the ball incredibly hard and historically runs high Babbitts. And so. I think they're a pretty safe bet for similar batting averages, actually. And I think the power is going to be similar. Um, and also hits in a better spot in the lineup. So runs and RBI will probably be probably be better. But other than that, I think they're very similar players. And Sano is a much cheaper version. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair comp. The only thing I would say is, is it worth a 100 pick discount, but Sano has never been able to stay healthy. He's never played more than 116 sure. games in a season. He did play 53 out of 60 in 2020, um, but yeah, hasn't really been able to stay healthy. Scott, your right. favorite pick for this year's Marcelo Zuna. So I, I think the one that you're just serving up on a platter is Nick Castellanos, and in fact, I made this exact same comparison in Breakouts 1.0, where I am doubling down on Castellanos as a breakout pick even though he hit only 225 with a 784 OPS in his first year in Cincinnati, I think it was a total mirage, a mirage and like the bad kind of mirage, uh, because he was top 10% in expected slugging percentage. And in fact, it was his fifth consecutive year, top 10% in expected slugging percentage. And three of those years, he's been top 10% in expected batting average, very reminiscent of Marcelo Zuna. And you say, okay, well, if if he's that, been that consistently high in the expected stats and it hasn't translated to the uh, to the baseline stats, maybe 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 that's the mirage, right? But he played in Detroit, which was a, a park that was like couldn't have been worse suited for his um, his particular style of hitting, where he hits a lot of balls to right center, especially, and it's just. It, it just killed so much of his potential. He got out of there. We saw how well he did with the Cubs in the second half of that season once he was out of Detroit, and Cincinnati's an even better place to hit. So what I think happened to Castellanos last year um, and was able to happen because it was such a small sample is he had terrible Babbitt blocks, still an elite line drive rate, you know, 
Freddie Freeman type line drive rate, uh, but a low bat BABIP. And he had an uncharacteristically high strikeout rate. And those two together worked to, to crush his batting average. Um, but remember, he got off to a really hot start too. So I just think like the season ended right as he was slumping. And if we got four more months out of Nick Castellanos, it would have been this monstrous breakout that we predicted for him in the first place because everything else looks right for him. And the power breakout happened. He had a career-high ISO of 261. He was on pace for a career-high, you know, 35 home runs in a 150-game season. So, um, you know, it really was just the batting average that that let him down. And, you know, presumably he can regress back to being a 22% strikeout rate guy and everything else should follow. He had historically been a very high Babbitt guy. Yeah, and that's because he hits so many line drives. And Scott, you referenced the line drives that he hit last season, and he was up over 25%. I looked at this among the 23 qualified hitters with a 25% line drive rate or better. Castellanos' 257 BABIP was by far the lowest. So we should expect regression there as well. I'm just going to keep saying it until it happens or until Nick Castellanos retires. I still think (laughs) that we have that 280, 35 homer, 100, 110 RBI season in in his bat. I think it's possible. Oh, easily. I I think that could be his baseline in Cincinnati. I think it could be even better than that. I'm still sticking with the, you know, last year the the comp for me was Nolan Arenado. I think you dropped a JD Martinez one, Frank. And and those comparisons don't sound as lofty today as they did a year ago today. Um, But, you know, those... We're talking second round production potentially from Nick Castellanos. Mm. All righty. Yeah. I, I mean, he was my I, pick as well. So as, same, yeah. I've been since October, November, I've been writing about it. I did a, a New Year's resolution article on the site, which you could find. And uh, my New Year's resolution for Nick Castellanos was to have better luck, which is kind of tongue in cheek because obviously you can't control that. Uh, but based on his quality of contact, I think he's going to be just fine. All right. Next up, who is this year's? Jose Abreu or Trevor Bauer. And what I mean by this is a player going in rounds six through eight. So anywhere from pick 65 to 85-ish in that range that will return first round value. Both players, both Bauer and Abreu were top 12 in 2020. So Scott, why don't you get us started this time? First round value in uh, someone that you can get in round six to eight. So I like your pick but I didn't want to copy your pick again like I did with Castellanos. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go with Keston Hira. And look, I didn't see much from him last year that was encouraging. The strikeout rate, which was already bad, got even worse. It got to like Joey Gallo levels. And, um, you know, the, the the exit velocity wasn't nearly as impressive. Giving him a total pass because it was a weird season. And because it was so... What he did last year was so far in the opposite direction from what he was expected to be from the day he was drafted. He was considered one of the best bats of his entire draft class, showed it through the minors, looked like it as a rookie, and then, you know, just just collapsed here during this weird season. Um, so I'm going it, to... It's, it's entire... The case for him is entirely just belief in the pedigree, but I have that belief in the pedigree. And, um, you know, I don't know that I want him at his ADP necessarily, but I see why the ADP is that high because I think the upside is that high. And that ADP that you referenced for Kesson Hira is 
65.7. So he's going about eight picks behind Kevin Biggio, according to Fantasy Pros. He's going three picks higher than Brandon Lau uh, and about 17 picks higher than Cattell Marte. So yeah, you got you to gotta spend a decent bit. Six round pick on Keston Hira. Um, I liked him a lot last year. Don't want to put too much stock into it in 2020, but swinging strike rate was second among qualified hitters behind only Luis Robert, uh, led the National League in strikeouts. I still think that there's upside there. If I'm in Dynasty, I'm holding, I'm not selling, like panic selling on him. But yeah. to, to invest at, at that cost, um, I need to see it. I, I need to see it happen before I, I yeah. jump back in. So. I right, think I agree with that. I'm probably Strict, not. Strictly the upside argument here for this exercise. Uh, Chris, a player going in round six to eight that you think can return first round value. Uh, you talk about getting uh, you know, a mulligan for last season. I think Yohan Moncada deserves a mulligan if anyone does. Um, and we've talked about it before, but diagnosed with COVID seemed to have a, a you know, a pretty significant case relative to other players. Um, you know, has talked about how he just didn't feel like he had his, uh, you know, his stamina, his strength until the offseason. You know, I think there was a quote that we talked about a couple of weeks back where, you know, he said he didn't really feel like himself until very recently. And so, um, you know, I, I think you can look at it and kind of like Marcus Simeon say, well, he turned back into the guy he was before 20, 2019. And that's not unfair, but I would just say that the, you know, he didn't attempt a single stolen base. He was a much more passive uh, hitter. He stopped swinging at a lot of pitches. He, you know, the defense actually was pretty good, but, you know, overall, it just, it mostly to me suggests a player who just didn't feel like himself. And I'm willing to give him a pass for 2020 because I do think the talent level is so high. I think there is 30 homer, 15 stolen base potential here. Um, and I, I just don't think he was right in 2020. So um, I'm willing to buy back in. The ADP for Moncada is 91.3. He's going six spots behind Eugenio Suarez among third basemen and six spots ahead of Max Muncy. So the ADP has dipped a little bit from last year. He was a top 70 pick, I want to say, last season. So people uh, are letting his weird 2020 kind of affect his draft stock for this upcoming season, which... Might not be fair. He looked like he was, you know, kind of turning a page and, and breaking out in in 2019. And he's still just 25 years old. He's going to turn 26 yep. in May. I think some people just have Yuan Moncada fatigue at this point, too, because we've been waiting for it for so long. But, hey, man, if he's hanging around pick 100, uh, I think that there is a, a, still a good amount of upside with one Yuan Moncada, especially in that lineup. The pick for me, someone going in this range that could return first-round value, is... Jordan Alvarez. I think it all comes down to health. What can we expect in terms of his knees? He had dual knee surgery um, in the offseason. There's been some video of him running on a treadmill. So I don't think he's going to play in the field much. They really just need him to step up to the plate four or five times a game. And while they lost Springer, I still think their lineup is pretty damn good. The Houston Astros. We saw what his upside was in 2019. He hit 50 home runs between the majors and the and the minor leagues, uh, right around 150 RBI. Great, just plate discipline, 14% walk rate. He just looked the part. He looked the part of you know someone that can be 
a 300 plus hitter with 35 to 40 home runs. It's just a matter of him staying on the field and with his cost currently going in uh, in this range, which is 79.7 is ADP. I mean, that's about the time where you should be looking to take risks like that. I think guys that have massive yep. upside, but a potential, yep. a, pen, a potential big downside as well. Of the three players we picked here, Hero for me, Moncada for Chris, Alvarez for you. Alvarez is the one I'm most likely to draft at his going rate. I mean, one of, one of my big draft day priorities this year is you got to get one of Alvarez, Nelson Cruz, and J.D. Martinez because I still have a lot of faith in all three, and the discount is extreme. Yeah, among all the utility bats, you're on Alvarez. The cost versus upside, he is my favorite. My second favorite is actually Giancarlo Stanton, who we've talked about uh, quite a bit already. Who is this year's Patrick Corbin? And by this, I mean a pitcher we expect to take a step back in 2021. Scott, why don't you get us started here? So I'm going to say Max Freed is the pick here. And it's like, oh, what are you doing turning on Max Freed like that? Shame. Well, uh, I, I think I think everybody's just gone a little too sanguine with Max Free because he had a 2.25 ERA last year. You know, he was basically in the Cy Young race all year. But like the numbers backing that up really weren't so great. Uh, his XFIP was 405. His, his Sierra was 432. This is compared to a 2.25 ERA. Remember, his strikeout rate dropped quite a bit. It was, it was only eight per nine. He's a great ground ball pitcher, so he can get away with that. But is he going to be somebody who competes for Cy Youngs if he's doing that? I don't know. And then beyond that, beyond that, like he's not taking on the workload of a pitcher. You'd the kind of workload you'd expect to see from a pitcher getting drafted like he is. Last year. Uh, Four times he went six plus innings. So like a third of his starts, he went six plus innings, which means under six most of the time. Uh, that's not good. That's not good from a non-strikeout pitcher. It, it appears is what he's becoming. Uh, mostly a ground ball guy. And yeah, I think, I think there's a chance... I, I don't think he's going to be bad, but I, I think there's a chance he's going to let a lot of people down uh, who are targeting him as a number two, number three type in fantasy. Chris, a pitcher you expect to regress this season. Kenta Maeda. I mean, first of all, he's going to face major league caliber lineups this season. Uh, I mean, he's still going to face Cleveland, so. <laughs> right, no, I'm not saying he's going to face exclusively major league caliber lineups. He'll yeah. face Cleveland and Kansas City and Detroit. Uh, he'll face those teams plenty, but... Here's who he pitched against last season. This is the entire list of teams that Kenta Maeda pitched against last season. The Chicago White Sox, okay. Cleveland Indians, Detroit Tigers, Milwaukee Brewers, Pittsburgh Pirates. You can't ask for an easier schedule. He saw the White Sox twice and didn't face another good offense the rest of the season. That's not to say Kenta Maeda is not good, but Kenta Maeda clearly pitched over his head last season. Uh, you know, we're talking about a 208 BABIP, we're talking about an 80% strand rate, a 49% ground ball rate. Those are all well above his career norms. Now, ground ball rate, you can say, started throwing his slider more, started throwing his changeup more. Those can lead to more ground balls. That's fine. Uh, but there is a significant amount of regression coming for Kenta Maeda. He's historically been someone who's out underperformed his peripherals a little bit. And 
you know, you talk about Max Freed and only going six innings, I think four times was the number. Kenta Maeda did average six innings per start last season. However, he averaged six innings per start with a 208 BABIP and 80% strand rate. Uh, he's not going to do that next season if his, if those numbers stabilize. If he has a 73% left on base rate, if he has a, a 270 BABIP, and those would both be pretty good numbers. And so... um I just think you're probably looking at someone who's not going to have the volume, who's going to regress and probably be more like a mid threes ERA pitcher. And he's being drafted like an ace. Scott. Sorry, Scott. Scott, I will give you 30 seconds to re to give your retort because you have Kenta Maeda ranked as your SP 11 in both formats starting now. Uh, Yeah, I think I'm in the highest. uh, It looks like I'm one of the highest in the industry on him. And, um, you know, I, I think I think it was just what was waiting to happen for him based on the way um, his underlying numbers looked from his time with the Dodgers. And he made some improvements in his pitch selection after joining the Twins. And it wasn't just like this weird ERA thing happening like we saw with Max Fried. I mean, he was missing bats like crazy. The XFIP looked great. The swinging strike rate was elite. Um and he was very efficient, very like I can't find anything wrong with the way he actually performed. It's just an appeal to to I, track record. But frankly, I think the Dodgers didn't know what they had in him. I, I will just say it it reminds me of Blake Snell coming off of uh, 2018. All of that, all of the breakout stuff was true and he performed over his head. Yeah, kind of opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of efficiency. But, but otherwise, but again, Kenta Maeda average six innings per start with all of that in his well, look face. at how many pitch how few pitches he threw like yeah i mean that's kind of <laughs> we don't know if he can throw more pitches yeah i remember the when he was going for the no hitter or perfect game that was really the only game where they pushed him but uh maybe it's by design right maybe this is how you get the best out of kenta maeda is you limit him to around that 90 to 100 pitch mark you don't let him go uh third time through the order very much and and that's how you keep the numbers where they're at so um choose Chris or Scott, when it comes to your feeling on Kenta Maeda, Uh, I'm just going to point out Zach Cranky for me, who is 37 years old. He had a 403 ERA, 113 whip. Um, The underlying numbers were still pretty good, but the fastball velocity, and this is normally something we talk about every spring training with Cranky being way down, 87.1 miles per hour on the fastball, whereas in 2019, it was 90 miles per hour. So... I don't know. I just think he's going to fall off eventually. And uh, as a top 25-ish starting pitcher, I'm I'm worried about Granky in that range. Uh, all right, let's hit these two quickly here, not spend too much time, because I do want to just quickly play that that Preller quote on Denelson Lamette. We'll end with that. But we'll turn back the clocks to 2019. Who is this year's Kirby Yates, a reliever going outside the top 10 closers in ADP who will lead baseball in saves? Chris. Give me, give me your pick in thirty seconds or less. Uh, Kirby Yates. <laughs> oh, yeah. Kirby Yates he, is, is going to be this year's Kirby Yates. Yeah, I, look, I, I know last year the you know he he wasn't healthy uh, and you know the the velocity was down. Actually, the velocity was fine. Um, I just he's being drafted at a discount, and anytime you can get someone on the downswing who's got the track record that Kirby Yates does, uh, I think that's a a very good opportunity to buy. It's possible he's done. It happens with closers all the time. They lose it very suddenly, but I think he's a perfect bounce back candidate. Kirby Yates will turn 
34 years old right before the season starts on March 25th. So we'll see how much he has left in the tank. Of course, signed with the Toronto Blue Jays, presumably to be their closer. Scott, who is this year's Kirby Yates? And and don't choose Kirby Yates. <laughs> well, really anyone... Um who's getting saves, who has that job all year, I think could lead the majors in saves. It's kind of the, the randomness of it. How, why I refer to it as the, like the kicker position of fantasy baseball. But I'm going to pick the guy replacing Kirby Yates, who's Drew Pomerantz, obviously a better supporting ca- cast than Kirby Yates had in 2019. And, um, you know, 14K per nine last year, broke through big with the Brewers two years ago. Looks like an elite reliever. And uh, seems poised to step into that role. I just realized that I never made a pick for this one on a rundown. So I'm, I'm going to go with the guy that I was thinking about choosing, and that is Craig Kimbrell. I think the only roadblock for him is if he is dealt, because I think it, there's a very high chance that he is dealt. But if he's p- pitching well enough to be traded somewhere, my guess is that he probably closes for the team that he's traded yeah. to as well, unless he goes to like the Yankees or another team that has like a, a fantastic closer as well, just to be a setup man. But Craig Kimbrell uh, doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who's going to be happy setting up for someone else. Yeah, exactly. He's going to hit you with his uh, his little dangling arm thing that he does. Uh, so my pick is Craig Kimbrell. We'll end on who is this year's Trent Grisham or Corbin Burns. Both players were drafted outside the top 300 last season in ADP, and they returned top 50 value. Scott, 30 seconds or less. Cheated a little here. He's on the borderline of top 300. Alex Kirilov, who I think is going to catch a lot of people by surprise this year because his last minor league season, 2019, 283 batting average, 756 OPS, you know, whatever. But the year before, 348 batting average, 970 OPS. He was dealing with a wrist injury in 2019, and reportedly... He bounced back big at the alternate training site. This is a guy who, during that awesome season 2018, Kirilov, I saw comparisons like Christian Yelich, those kinds of comparisons. Even now, Baseball America gives him a 70-grade hit tool, uh, you know, max 80. You don't see many 70s. And a 60-grade power tool. So very, very high on his bat. He has a job waiting for him, and I think uh, he could go off this year. Chris, someone outside the top 300 that can return top 50 value. Um, I love a post-hype sleeper, and Joe Adele seems like one of the absolute best this season uh, on Fantasy Pros. He's got a, uh, he's the 352nd player being taken on average. Now they've only got a couple of sources, and he's more, you know, in the late 200s. I think at NFBC, he's like 305. Uh, so he's pretty close, but, you know, this is still one of the guys who was talked about as a, you know, Ronald Acuna level talent. He's still only 22 years old. Um, and, you know, his minor league track record, he hit 298. He averaged 24 homers and 20 steals per 150 games. Very small sample size, only 224 games because he dealt with injuries. But um, if you're looking for high upside, if you're looking for the kind of guy who can take a big step forward and, and help you win your league, I think Joe Adele's right there among uh, some of the best. So someone that I have been touting for quite a while, many people have, and I was very excited when he got out of Tampa Bay is Nate Lowe. You're watching right now. You can see I'm wearing my Texas Rangers hat. Big Rangers fan, always been since day one, big Texas Rangers fan, but they just have a lot of players I like. Nate Lowe, uh, 
Willie Calhoun, still rooting for him. Uh, Dane Dunning, I like. Demarcus Evans, I'm kind of hoping he could become the closer. Uh, but for Nate Lowe, someone who, in the in the minors, had a really good hit tool, uh, showed some pop, had some really, really big seasons in the minor leagues with Tampa Bay, never really was given a fair shake to play first base for them. He will be the starting first baseman for the Texas Rangers. Uh, it's a little bit harder for someone to finish inside the top 50, at least in Roto, if they don't steal bases, which I'm not expecting him to do. I look back at 2019 to try and find a comp Chris Bryant hit 282 with 31 homers, 77 RBI, and 108 runs. I'm not saying Nate Lowe can do all those things, but his 90th percentile outcome, the RBIs will be higher than 77. I think he can hit 25 to 30 home runs, good batting average, maybe 80 plus runs. And if he does that, I think he's probably on the border of being a top 50 player. So really, really big fan of Nate Lowe now with the Texas Rangers. All right, we've been teasing it since the top of the podcast. I did just want to play a quote. Yesterday on this very podcast, we had Danny Vietti and Will Middlebrooks, which if you haven't listened, they're not really fantasy guys. They give you more of just like a general baseball spin, but they had Padres GM AJ Preller on, and he gave an update on Denelson Lamette, which you will hear right now. Yeah, and I saw him a couple of weeks ago in the Dominican. He was, you know, he's he's a workout warrior. He's a, you know, one of these, uh, you know, seven days a week. He's he gets after it. He, he pushes himself, you know, from a training standpoint. He was, you know, again, he's in a really good spot in terms of being ahead of probably even last year's pace. But everything they put in front of him so far, uh, he's been, you know, he's throwing program. Uh, you know, where his arm health is, he's been throwing bullpens. All of those so far have been good. I think he's actually put a few of them on his uh, on the on, on the internet. I've seen pop up in the last couple of days, um, but I think we're realistic. Like you know, I think for us, it's it's going to be get into spring training. You know, until he really is able to take the ball and and you know and, and throw it at, at uh, you know a top effort and in a game situation, come back, you know, and throw his bullpen, come back through five days later, and just keep repeating that process. You know, I think we're gonna we're gonna see where it goes. But I think the good news is the doctors agree, the trainers agree that. You know, they feel like he's in a really good place. And so far, his body and his offseason has been very good. He's throwing bullpens and should be full go for spring training. Scott, while that might be perceived as positive, I'm a little bit more skeptical because of the way he said, until we see him pitch every five days in-game action, we're not really going to know how he's going to react. So I'm kind of looking at this at a glass-half-empty view rather than glass-half-full. Yeah, I mean it. It, it kind of doesn't tell us anything, right? Like if if he if he remained as positive as he started out, I, I'm I'm not sure he would have been being entirely transparent. I just, you know, it, it's kind of refreshing that he he was as honest by saying, you know, look, we're realistic about it because I I, I wasn't sure he was going to say that. Um, I, I think it's a, a totally wait and see, which is what he was saying too. Um. Yeah, I'd be concerned to invest too much in Lamette until, you know, like the last week before the season when he's really been run through the ringer. Mm-hmm. Lamette's ADP is inside the top 60 as of now. Chris, any takeaways from that Preller quote? Uh, I, I mostly agree with Scott. I, I don't think there's a ton you can take away from that. He's You get positive quotes all the time from guys before they get injuries. You know, it's... And that's not to say that he's going to get hurt or that he currently is or that AJ Preller wasn't, you know, telling the truth. It's just, you know, like Scott said, you never know until, I mean, even after, you know, you never know when it comes to starting pitchers. Like they're so injury prone. And, you know, Lamette is such a volatile um, t- 
type of pitcher. You know, he he is so, uh, you know, he's been so homer prone in his career. He's been so injury prone in his career. He's really only had one season where he's pitched at a high level that it's just, he was on my bus list. I, I don't think I talked about him on, on the breakout sleepers, breakouts and bus show, but you know, like I'm not the type of person who makes a do not draft list, but he comes the closest for me. I have him 114th overall as SP 27. So he is, uh, you know, well behind consensus for me. Yep. We're in agreement there. He was on my bus list as well. We're going to wrap for Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching. Have a fantastic weekend. We'll be back again on Monday. Bye-bye. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.